Good morning. Lots of folks uh, haven't met yet here this morning. We appreciate everyone's presence. We have some that are sick, some that are traveling. We got uh, Brother Matt, who's uh, I think holding his first gospel meeting. Uh, finishes up today, so uh, Brother Matt's in Burleson's been there Friday night, Saturday night, and uh, this morning and this afternoon. So uh, I know he's uh, both excited and nervous, but uh, it's coming to a close for him. So uh, be anxious to hear uh, his feelings on that. Been texting back and forth with him all, all weekend long, but. Uh, so we're in a study of the book of Joshua. We're going to talk about Joshua chapter 5 today. If you remember the story, if we go back into Exodus a little bit, so let me catch everybody up. In Exodus, we had these plagues, and we ended the plague with the plague of the firstborn, or the death of the firstborn, and we had this concept called Passover. And the children of Israel are allowed to leave um, Egypt under this slavery and bondage they've been in. They cross over the Red Sea, and then... They get to this land, this place on the other side of the Red Sea. They uh, they get the Ten Commandments. They send some spies into the land of Canaan, which is the promise that uh, Abraham had been given way back when in Genesis. And uh, the spies go into that land, and they come back and say, there's giants over there. We don't think we can take it. And because of their lack of faith and their lack of courage, they wander around in the wilderness, in the desert wilderness, for 40 years eating manna. And then all of the warriors die and <clears throat> their sons are born and Joshua takes the leadership, reigns over from Moses, and we get the book of Joshua. We start there in chapter 1 and we cross over the uh, Jordan River. We get to the other side. Last week, Brother Jeremy talked about the monuments or the, the memorials that were raised there as they crossed the red, the uh, Jordan. I keep getting the Red Sea and the Jordan River uh, mixed up. I probably will do that quite often today. But they crossed the Jordan. The monuments were set up at Jordan. And so now they're in very the very outskirts of this promised land that has been given them. And of course, we recognize the types and the anti-types. This promised land that he'd given to his people is symbolic of the promise that we have as Christians, this promise of heaven. And so we'll see some of that carried out today as we think about them sitting there on the Jordan about to go out and uh, take this promised land. And so there's three things that um, they're going to uh, do here in chapter 5. First of all, there's going to be an exercise of circumcision. Then they're going to celebrate the Passover. And finally, there's a visit from a character. I've put the name Lord there in lowercase, and we'll talk about what all that means. Maybe it's uppercase, maybe it's lowercase. I don't know. We'll talk about that when we get there. But that's the end of chapter 5. There's a lot of controversy over this person that comes to visit them in Joshua chapter 5. But as we, as we think about this whole situation here in chapter 5, I've summed it up with the word preparation. And so what these, what the children of Israel and what Joshua and what these people are doing is they are getting prepared to take this promise that the Lord has given them. They're sitting there on the banks having just crossed and there's certain provisions, there's certain things that they need to do in order to get right, in order to be able to take on this promise that has been given them. And we'll talk about that as we go through. If we begin in, if we begin in the beginning of uh, chapter 5 and verse number 1, it says, So the Lord dried up the Jordan River until the Israelites finished crossing it. 
the kings of the Amorites living west of the Jordan River and the Canaanites living by the Mediterranean Sea heard about this and became very frightened. After that, they were not brave enough to stand and fight against the Israelites. So in business, we talk about our decision having unintended consequences. Those are consequences that happen because of our decision way down the road that we as humans can't necessarily see. This would have been an unintended consequence for the Israelites, right? They cross over on the Red Sea or cross over the Jordan River. They think nothing about it. They cross the Red Sea. It's the second time the Lord took care of them. The unintended consequence was everybody that they're about to go conquer sees this great miracle and they get scared and start running. They're like, man, we don't want to fight these guys. Their God's a powerful God. So it wasn't an unintended consequence for God. He knew what he was doing. But for the Israelites... They see this as, hey, this is the second time. I don't know if they see, hey, we're used to it or whatever, but they don't recognize that the, the unintended consequences that all of the people that they're about to go into this land to conquer have seen this mighty miracle by the God. So this was not some mighty wind that blew back the waters and, you know, this was a miracle. This was, everybody saw it. Everybody knew it. Dry land, big deal as he parts this Jordan River. And um, I think it, one of the gentlemen that spoke before me that was talking about the Jordan River, it was last week, so it was probably Jeremy, I think, was talking about, you know, this was not some creek, this was not some dried up red river, this was a raging, big, 60, 80, 100 foot wide river, deep waters. I think Brother John talked a little bit about that last week in his application. This was a big deal when it suddenly is dry land, water on each side, and they're across millions of people are crossing over this Jordan River. So big deal. And these guys were afraid. And then beginning in verse uh, number 2, we have this concept of circumcision that he talks about. He says, At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make knives from flint rocks and circumcise the men of Israel. So Joshua made knives from flint rocks and circumcised the men of Israel at Gebeth Haraloth. This is why Joshua circumcised the men. After the Israelites left Egypt, all the men who were able to serve in the army were circumcised. So think about that. When they left Egypt, they had the Passover feast there. They had been circumcised. All the men in the army were circumcised. Then it goes on to say, while in the desert, many of the fighting men did not listen to the Lord. So the Lord, so the Lord promised that they would see, would not see the land where much food grows. He promised our ancestors to give us that land, but because of those men, He forced the people to wander in the desert for 40 years. That way, all those fighting men would die. So all the fighting men died, and their sons took their place. But none of the boys who were born in the desert on the trip from Egypt had been circumcised, so Joshua circumcised them. Joshua finished the circumcision, all, finished circumcising all the men. the men. The people camped at that place until all the men were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, You were slaves in Egypt, and this made you ashamed. But today I have taken away that shame. So Joshua named the place Gilgal, and that place is still named Gilgal today. So a lot of talk about a lot of talk about circumcision there, but he kind of moves back and forth and it when I first read through it it was kind of confusing to me. It says, While in the desert many of the fighting men did not listen to the Lord. And I thought at first that's talking about circumcision, because that seems to be talking about what's going on here. But what he's talking about there is they didn't listen to the Lord as, as far as the promise, the promise of this land that they were going to inherit because they didn't listen to him about that promise. They didn't have the faith, the courage to go take it. They didn't listen. 
then they were caused to wander for 40 years. That's what the, that's what the passage is referring to. It's not talking about the fact that they didn't listen to him in regards to circumcision, although they also didn't do that because you can see that the young men, the boys of the dads that were circumcised back in Egypt were not circumcised in the desert. And then it goes on at the end here and it says, You were slaves in Egypt and this made you ashamed, but today I have taken away that shame. Again, he's changed subjects there. He's not talking about, he's not talking about circumcision as they were ashamed. He's talking about the fact that you were slaves, you were in bondage, you were in, in Egypt making bricks and you were ashamed of that existence. Today, you're about to take the promised land. I've changed that shame to something that you can be proud about. You can be proud to be the Lord's people in the promised land about to take this great inheritance that I had promised Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 17. So a little bit of confusion there as he kind of moves back and forth between subjects. And we'll come back and we'll talk about what uh, I think the importance of the fact that the, the, the men were, the boys weren't, and that they had to have this event of circumcision here in, uh, in verses 2 through 9 here in a, in a moment. So what, is, what does circumcision have to do with us today? So old story, uh, Joshua chapter 5, what's it, what's it have to do with us today? Well, in Genesis, let's read a little bit about it. So in Genesis chapter 17 and verse number 10, again, the Lord talking to uh, Abraham said, this is my agreement. Every male must be circumcised. So when he talked to Abraham and he talked about this agreement, this covenant, this land promise, this stuff that I'm going to give you, he said, um, every male must be circumcised in reference to that. He says, it's a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. So the fact that the, the circumcision happened, it's a token of the covenant. It's something that proves that you're one of my people. You've done what I've asked you to do as far as this, uh, this agreement, this land promise that I made to you. He gives us some rules. Baby boys at the, at the age of eight, any slaves that you own, their children are circumcised. Any male who is not circumcised will be cut off from his people. And then it goes on to say, but a man who is not circumcised cannot eat the Passover meal. So that was then. That was Old Testament. What does it mean for us today? So when we think about this subject. Well, one of the things that we know is that the physical act of circumcision is is optional. So it's optional. And you can learn that in Galatians Galatians uh, 2 and Acts 15. So in Galatians 2, that's where, uh, and Jeremy likes to talk about this a lot, that's where Paul and Peter get in this discussion about the old law being held on the new Christians. And and um, and both of them come to the agreement that, that the old law has has no bearing, that the, these old customs had no bearing. And then in Acts 15, um, there's the, the council that decides basically the same thing. So today, the physical act of circumcision doesn't have any bearing. But the New Testament does talk to us about a concept called circumcising our hearts. And I want to talk just a moment about that. In Romans chapter 2, in verse number 29, it says, A true Jew is one who is a Jew inside. And when it's using the word Jew here, it's really talking not necessarily about a Jew that is of Jewish nationality or Jewish origin. It's talking about the Jew and the concept of somebody that's in a covenant relationship with God, somebody that's in the right relationship, somebody that, that loves God and God loves them. That's the, He's talking about a relationship. It says a true Jew is one who is a Jew on the inside. True circumcision is done in the heart. It is done by the Spirit, not by the written law. 
And anyone who is circumcised in the heart by the spirits by the Spirit gets praise from God, not from people. So many of you were here. It's been years since Brother Steve gave what I think for me was one of the great sermons on the heart and about all the pathways into the heart and how we have to guard those. We have to put guard posts up. We have to keep the let the pure through and keep the evil out, right? That's what it's talking about. Circumcision is a circular removal of anything, any sin, anything that doesn't need to be associated with our hearts. Our hearts need to be pure. They need to be Christ-like. They need to be godly. When we talk about circumcising our heart, we're talking about cutting away all of that unnecessary evil and corruption and anything else that's associated with our heart. And so in Romans here, he's saying that's what your heart has to be. It has to have all of that stuff removed and cut away and gotten out of your life. As a Christian, it has no place. And so when we think about circumcision today, it's not about a physical act. It's about a spiritual act. It says the Spirit has to carve that away and cut that away and help you circumcise your heart and get rid of that stuff that you don't need. And again, circumcise comes from circumference, comes from that word that means all the way around, completely removing anything that bothers your Christian life. (laughs) So... Think about that for a moment and we'll continue on because the next thing we talk about is the Passover. In Joshua chapter 5 and verses 10 to 12, he moves from talking about circumcision to talking about Passover. And he says this, The Israelites celebrated Passover while they were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho. So right now in chapter 5, looking up towards this mighty fortress of Jericho, they celebrate the Passover. This was on the evening of the 14th day of the month. The day after Passover, the people ate food that grew in the land. They ate bread made without yeast and roasted grain. The next morning, the manna from heaven stopped coming. This happened the first day after the people ate the food that grew in the land of Canaan. From that time on, the Israelites did not get the manna from heaven. So they had wandered in the wilderness. He fed them with the manna. Now they're inheriting this great land promise and no longer are they being fed by this manna from heaven. They're actually going to start living off of the land and taking advantage of this great land that they've been offered. So it tells us that on the 14th day of the month they celebrated it and that the manna from heaven would stop coming. So uh, I want to spend a little bit of time understanding the Passover, understanding some of the rules of Passover so that we can then come to a conclusion about what's been going on in the Israelites' life and then we'll move on and talk about this character um, at the end of the chapter. So if we go back all the way to Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, we're now back in Egypt. We haven't gone over the Red Sea. We haven't started. We're talking about this last plague that's going to come on the children of Israel, that's going to convince the Pharaoh to let them go, at least for a little while until he starts chasing them. So we're back in Exodus chapter 12, and at 10 it tells us that this Passover is going to happen on the first month of the year, on the 14th day. We see that they were in the 14th day of the of the month there in Joshua chapter 5. It tells us that it's commanded for the whole community. It tells us that you must collect the blood from these animals and put it on top and the sides of the of the door frame so you had to put it on uh, over your door frame on the sides of the door and on the lintel you must not eat the lamb raw or boiled in water you must roast the whole lamb over a fire the lamb must still have its head legs and inner parts so the whole lamb is to be roasted over the fire not boiled in water 
there must be enough lamb for everyone. So it, it talks here in this, this passage about the fact that if somebody doesn't have enough lamb, that you can invite them to come into your house and to share your lamb with you. But everybody has to have enough lamb to eat. It goes on to say the lamb must be one-year-old male and must be completely healthy. I think without spot or blemish is probably the way maybe the King James Version tells it. It goes on to say your descendants will honor the Lord with this festival forever. It says that on the first day you'll remove all the yeast from your house. So there's this, this yeast comes into play that you got to remove all the yeast. And for seven days you're not, you're not eating the yeast. And then it goes on in the, later in this uh, chapter 12 and says you must remember to do this even when you go to the land the Lord is giving you. So they just crossed over the Jordan into this land that the Lord is giving you and they start serving this, they start uh, uh, worshiping with this uh, Passover uh, that they had been commanded to do. No foreigner is allowed to eat the Passover. It says later in that chapter, if the foreigner is willing to be circumcised, then he can eat of the Passover. It says if anyone uh, buys a slave and circumcises him, then the slave can eat the Passover. Uh, don't break any of the lamb's bones. That's uh, an interesting uh, statement, and we'll understand that later. Uh, but a man who is not circumcised cannot eat the Passover meal. So you see these two things are kind of tied together that we've been talking about here in Joshua chapter 5. He talks about circumcision, and there was a reason that he did that first. Because there is a command that says, unless you're circumcised, you can't eat the Passover. So we've got to do that first. All these could be 39-year-old men that had not been circumcised, that had been in the wilderness uh, with them for 40 years, were not, uh, were not circumcised. So what about us? 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7 says, Take out all the old yeast so that you will be a new batch of dough. You really are bread without yeast, Passover bread. Yes, Christ, our Passover lamb, has already been killed. So let us eat our Passover meal, but not with the bread that has the old yeast, the yeast of sin and wrongdoing, but let us eat the bread that has no yeast, that is the bread of goodness and truth. So in this worship type environment, this Passover type environment, it's saying get the yeast out of your life. Get the evil doing, the wrong doing, get it all out of your life so that you can come and you can partake of the Passover lamb. And we recognize that it asks them not to break the bones of the body of the lamb. We know that Jesus went to the cross and died. Even through all of the beatings, not a bone was broken in his body. So we recognize the symbolism. We recognize the actual Passover lamb now being our Savior. And we celebrate the Passover feast in the, in the table every week when we come together to talk about Jesus and what He's done for us. And it says to get this yeast out of our life, and it, and it says yeast is this, it says it's the evil and uh, the bread that is old yeast, the yeast of sin and wrongdoing according to, I think this is the ERV version. And so when we come to worship, we've got to get our minds right. We've got to get our lives right. We've got to get this sin and wrongdoing out of our lives. Circumcision talks about fixing the heart, and this is talking about fixing our worship so that our worship is acceptable. And then we come to, and I don't even know, this is a picture of a guy carrying a sword, which is about the only description of what the Bible calls the commander of the Lord's army. 
in Joshua chapter 5. But before we get there, I think, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about um, the Passover, I, I think, and this is a think so, uh, you can study this and figure it out, but I believe that the children of Israel did not celebrate Passover while they were wandering in the wilderness, except for the first year after. The Bible talks about in Numbers chapter 9 that they celebrate the Passover, which was one year after they had come across the Red Sea while they were wandering in the wilderness. Then there's no there's no uh, further biblical evidence that they celebrated the Passover until this day where they cross over in Joshua chapter 5. And I think that for a number of reasons. Number one, they had 30, they had boys, they had men now that had been maybe 39 years old that were uncircumcised. You couldn't take a Passover if you were uncircumcised. So that says they either broke, they broke one law or the other, which I don't think they did. And then, um, the, the second thing is that the Passover was designed when they got into the land of promise. It said that back in, in, uh, in the, in the, in the Joshua where we were reading there. It said that this was, or, uh, back in Exodus, that this was to be done once you got to the land of promise. And, um, they didn't get the land of promise until Joshua chapter 5. So you can research that and think about that, but I thought, hey, that's a, that's cool. I had just always thought that this was a, you know, perpetual thing that had gone on from the day that they crossed over the Red Sea every year, but it looks like that for about, I don't know, 38, 39 years, they didn't celebrate the Passover until they actually got in in the land that flowed with milk and honey here in Joshua chapter 5. So the last uh, few verses of this deal with what's called the commander of the Lord's army. It said, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him. The man had a sword in his hand. Joshua went to the man and asked, Are you a friend of our, a friend to our people? Or are you one of our enemies? The man answered, I am not an enemy. I am the commander of the Lord's army. I have just now come to you. Then Joshua bowed his face to the ground to show respect and said, I am your servant. Does my master have a command for me? The commander of the Lord's army answered, said, Take off your sandals. The place where you stand is holy, so Joshua obeyed him. So the, again, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, beauty in this passage, and we'll talk about that in a moment. What what this really means, but there's also some mixed messages. It it uh, it says he's a commander of the Lord's army. Joshua worships him. It says, "Take off your sandals. Uh, you're standing on holy ground." That seems to that seems to me to to point out that this is probably some type of, of deity. Now, as uh, I read through a ton of commentators and, and tried to understand the verses better myself, this is, these, these verses are probably, in Joshua, some of the more um, argued, lots of various different points of view. I'll give you some of those, and then you can go study and figure them out yourself. One point of view is that this is Michael the archangel who... And some people's beliefs is in control of the principalities and powers, which are the Lord's army. And that he is an uh, uncreated angel. And therefore, he was worthy as being uncreated of some type of worship and that this being called holy ground. That seems like a lot of uh, story stuff to me. None of that's probably provable. 
Um, that's just some think so. So that one's way out there. Another th- another thing that's very evident is that this is a man. It's not a figment of his imagination. It says he's a man. It says he approached him. He said he talked to him. He honored him by falling on the ground and worshiping him. So uh, a lot of people believe that you know this is uh, Jesus Christ that had come to the earth and as a man here to give Joshua the pep talk and the courage that he needed to move forward with this great. Um, uh, endeavor that he was about to go on. I would lean closer to that. Michael maybe can shed some light on it for us if uh, if uh, anybody wants to know. But the the cool thing about it is you don't have to understand that to understand this, and this is the point. The point is the Lord has given Joshua a very clear message that I'm on your side. Me, my army, everything I command is with you here on the banks of the Jordan River as we go forward to take that great a uh, city of Jericho, that great wall-surrounded city, that great fortress. As we go up there to take that, I want you to know that I, the Lord, am with you and my army. And so we think back to you know some of the scenes where the um, the guy uh, looks out the window and sees the army surrounding the city, and and the prophet prays that the Lord would open his eyes, and he opens his eyes, and he sees the mighty chariots of the Lord's army that had this other army that they were so worried about surrounded. That's the that's the vision here is that the, the Lord's army is on Joshua's side. <clears throat> we think about that in our day and time. Romans 8 and 31 says, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, then who can be against us? And so that's, that is the thing that as we look forward to what it all means for us getting our lives right, getting our worship right, taking uh, advantage of this great promise, this great reward called heaven. What do we need to do? What do we need to realize? Well, number th- number one, we need to realize that the Lord is is on our side. If He's for us, then who can be against us? Right. That's the number one thing you need to realize. And then when I think of you know just kind of summing this up in preparation. Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 13 says, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So no different than these children of Israel sitting on the banks of the uh, river there in uh, in the, the, the holy in the Canaan in the promised land no different than them sitting there and looking up at that mighty fortress they're about to they're about to attack no different than the, the preparation they had to make we sit in the same place we are fighting against the devil we're fighting against uh, for for, a, for an eternal promise ours is eternal life theirs was a land grant uh, reward there in the land of Canaan there's so many similarities and we don't know when the Lord's going to come back and say, let's go home. And so we have to always be prepared. Watch therefore. Be prepared. That's the great message of Joshua chapter 5. It's all about preparation. It's all about getting your life right. Because you don't know when the Lord's going to come back. If we're alive, hopefully we'll be called up with Him. If we're dead, to be called out of the grave to be with Him. So we don't know. 
So the, the lesson of the morning from Joshua chapter 5, at least my interpretation of Joshua chapter 5, is that there are a lot of things that are going on in our world. There are a lot of things that are affecting us every day. At work, we call it the whirlwind, right? It's the whirlwind that gets us off track. We come to work thinking we're going to do one thing. The whirlwind drags us off doing something else. That happens to us even as Christians. We think we're going to do stuff. We make plans. We make preparation to do stuff. And then the world gets in the way and the whirlwind drags us off. And all of a sudden, we're half a day gone from doing what it was that we thought we were going to do as it comes to, as it pertains to spirituality. So get prepared, study, get prepared, be ready, watch therefore, for we don't know when the Lord's going to come again. So that's the lesson of the morning. Hopefully something there through that whole thing got you to thinking, got you to maybe thinking, hey, I need to get better prepared. I need to get some stuff out of the way. I appreciate very much the song Michael led, Cleanse Me. Man, that's what the lesson's about. It's about getting all of that stuff out of our, out of our lives and out of our hearts and being in a position to be ready for Jesus when He comes back. If you have any need of the church this morning, we'll offer that for you. If you'd like to come forward, we can pray with you. If you'd like to become a Christian and be baptized, we can make arrangements to do that. If you'll come while we stand and sing the song that was selected.